Hello and welcome to Lady Time, a podcast for those of us navigating midlife. Today I have Louise Enright. Louise Enright is from Clare and living in Dublin for the past six years. She's pregnant with her first baby that is due in August and will be just shy of 41 when the baby arrives. An imminent move back to Clare for the maternity period is on the cards due to the ever-increasing costs of renting and buying in Dublin. Louise is one of seven children who grew up on a small farm, mother reared them and dad worked a full-time job. Louise went the unconventional route to many in that she didn't follow the university route after school. Instead, she took the first plane off the aisle and spent most of her 20s living abroad in various spots across the globe and pondering over what was her calling. She has spent the most part of her 30s in education in a part-time capacity while working full-time also. She is just finishing up her Master's of Science in Health Psychology and working in the School of Pharmacy in the Royal College of Surgeons Ireland and as a clinical support specialist for a company that sources and supplies medicinal products that run short in the Irish market into Irish hospitals. Very interesting, Louise. You're very welcome and thank you for joining me on Lady Time. Oh, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's good to be here. My My first time actually speaking on a podcast, so... I was feeling a little bit nervous before jumping on, but um, hopefully. <laughs> That's normal, Louise. And, I, you know, we all have that. You know, you're on the spot when you're being interviewed and it brings up the nerves, but you'll be fine. It's very relaxed on this podcast. And thank you for joining me on your first podcast experience. Before we talk about your work, because your work is very interesting and you're doing a study piece on menopause. And that's what I found really interesting. And for this show in particular, tell me, you're just stepping into midlife you're only stepping into your 40s and for some people that's not even midlife what has been foremost on your mind as you stepped into your 40s yeah so I hadn't actually thought about the answer to this before um before you asked me the question and um I guess it was something that was brewing so I'll be just shy of 41 when I give birth and um I had my 40th birthday bash last September down in Clare with a big bunch of friends and family. Um, it was just, a, I, I guess we were lucky to have it before we went into another lockdown with COVID. And um, prior to that, I, I had began this, I guess you'll call it, call it a morning stage um, in that I, um, I, I worried about getting closer to 40 and, and what that might mean in terms of, of, of bearing a child and that I always in my mind, um, growing up just imagined that 40 was the end point, you know, that, that big clock that's ticking that I didn't really ask for, <laughs> but mm-hmm. it ended to me when I was, when I was born into the world. Um, yeah, that clock was always there and very present in my mind. So when I had that 40th birthday bash, um, the hopes in my mind of bearing a child were becoming less and less. And I suppose that, that's, that was, that was my big thing about hitting middle age. Now I hadn't thought about 40 or your 40s being middle age or um, was never quite concerned with my age in general. Um, I uh, take after my mother in that my mind is my age and I feel a lot younger in my mind. Great. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great uh, theory to have or, uh, you know, a great belief to have as you get through life because, yeah, we, we you know, <laughs> yeah. we're as young as we feel. 
exactly. But uh, I, I did, um, I did, uh, I'd done a blood test just before my birthday. And uh, when I got the results of those after my birthday. Those blood tests were actually um, a whole host of tests for fertility and that kind of thing. Because I was wondering, how is my body? You know, am I able to bear a child? What's going on here? So I uh, just did it in the Well Woman Clinic here in Dublin and uh, got the results back from that. And um, they said that I had iron deficiency anemia. And uh, well. Wow else showed up and I thought okay now is not the time my body's not functioning properly I have a healthy diet but yet my body is telling me that it's not working right so I went on this um I wouldn't say frenzy but I did go on a little bit of a um a a personal kind of health focusing stage so I began doing acupuncture with this um lady um her name is Claire here in Dublin and uh I was getting the acupuncture not for fertility for I didn't even tell her about wanting to become pregnant it was just for the iron deficiency and I actually felt that I was a little bit I don't know what the acupuncturists were called maybe there, there was stagnation in the body you know, when you feel like your blood isn't flowing right and you're beginning to maybe feel a little bit puffy or um, whatever the case may be. I just felt I wasn't functioning at my optimum. Um, so I went to Claire for that and uh, I started doing acupuncture uh, every week. And I did that every week uh, for eight weeks consecutively. And on the eighth week, the um, the magic happened. So I I... Yeah, I became pregnant, but I didn't know that for some time because obviously I just didn't imagine that I was going to get pregnant. So it was a big surprise finding that out in um, in December. And oh. yeah, so like, yeah, I did. I just went on the acupuncture. I began like, you know, trying to increase my iron into my diet, which is really, really important. Um, but I certainly wasn't thinking about becoming pregnant. I put that completely out of my head. So it came as a big, big surprise for me. But that's lovely. Because sometimes when we focus so much on something, it's harder to, to, to do it. So yeah, you had the intention, I want to get pregnant. And then you just yeah. didn't. Well, focus on that but you focused on your health and then it, it happened that's great but I suppose you know going back to for anybody that um is or was in my um situation um turning 40 and um you know not um I suppose not getting pregnant or having challenges and things like that you know that that morning thing is a, is a, it was a very very real thing for me i mean my partner couldn't ask me about about children without me breaking down crying and i you know i had this this it was just this i just couldn't even verbalize it and it wasn't like i was always dreaming about having children through my 30s i was you know in my 20s i spent uh, i had you know the best years of my life i didn't even consider having children and in my 30s then i was so focused on you know career and getting an education and all of these things that i i never and i had a few different relationships that didn't work out and um and i i remember one guy i was dating he he said to me you'd really you'd want to think hard and fast about whether you really want children or not because 
you know, don't get to the age of 39 or 40 and then decide it's too late. You need to make a decision. And would you believe even at 36, I wasn't ready to make that decision. So um, I do feel really, really fortunate. Um, yeah, I just feel super fortunate um, for what's happened. Well, I think you took a great approach, I think, by going to uh, get your bloods tested First is good to see what deficiency you have. And then, and then you went and took a course of action. You paid to go to an acupuncturist for eight weeks. And that's a big commitment and a great commitment. Acupuncture is actually very good for fertility. Yeah. Yeah. And I heard of that, but it, it, it was quite funny that I didn't say that to the acupuncturist. And she was one of the first ladies that I, I, um, I found out at Christmas and, like I emailed her to tell her the news and put a review up to say, look, at, um, I was going for this and ended up getting pregnant. And I actually would put a lot of it down to the acupuncture and how it kind of, I suppose, straightened out my my system somewhat because I would have um, had uh, heightened stress levels as a result of um, doing my master's and working full time and all of that sort of thing. So um, it, it's pretty amazing. And I'm continuing to get it now and um, get the acupuncture from her for, you know, different aches and pains that pop up during pregnancy um, and especially the, the the fluid retention and uh, swollen legs that I'm getting, which is great. Oh, fun. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I used acupuncture uh, before my second child. I'd had a miscarriage and then... I wanted to get pregnant and I went to an acupuncturist and that definitely helped. And then when I went into labor, you know, I I would ring up the hospital and say, I think I'm in labor, but because I'm quite calm, they were just going, no, you're not. (laughs) They know I'm not. And they'd ask me and I I said, no, I think I am. I've had pains and this is the times. Anyway, they were like, you're not. So I went and had an acupuncture uh, session, but I was having contractions when she was sticking the needles. I went into hospital then after that, the needles still in me everywhere, <laughs> but it definitely helped. And I was in labor. The nurses, when they, they did the initial checks were like, oh, we're so sorry you were in labor all the time. Anyway, it was fine. But the acupuncture was really good for a process for me, for the grief of the miscarriage the and then just getting my body back into shape again you know yeah it is pretty amazing so I would highly recommend it to anybody I mean it's good for so many things Um, it is it's great for lots of things and so yeah so if you're if you end up like me in labor and not knowing and the nurses or the doctor saying yeah I don't think so yet go for a little acupuncture (laughs) I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, yeah, so it's very exciting. You're going to have a little baba in August. So I'm so jealous. That's so exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting. You, you've you gone a different route. You didn't go to college. You you took a plane out of yeah. Ireland and you headed off and you had that question. Was that something you were conscious of at the time? What what your calling was or what your what 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 was yeah, your always, purpose? I've always had that going on. Um Yeah. Um, not that I'd say I was a, a lost soul, but no. um, I just, I never wanted to do the, follow the, the, the normal route or I just did, I feel, I felt displaced where I was, I suppose, displaced in my community, 
Um, so where I grew up, displaced in secondary school, um, you know, I never felt part of the group or part of the clan. Um, although I had a really strong bunch of friends and, uh, yeah, I, um, and what do you think that was? Do you, do you, have you looked back on it and oh, figured yeah, it out? Yeah, I, I have meet the queen of reflection and, uh, <laughs> and searching and, uh, digging in deep into the, the psychological processes and, um, thoughts. So, I, one of the things would be, I suppose, uh, growing up in a, a large family yeah. and, um, being one of seven children. So I fall fourth born. Um, I'm not, I'm the middle child, but I'm, uh, I'm the youngest girl. So I'm kind of half in the middle, so to speak. I'm not, yes. I'm, yeah. I'm not the. I'm not the middle girl either, you know, I have, um, yeah. So, but the middle child, I have three younger brothers, uh, one older brother and two older sisters. Um, but I think some of that has got to do with it just, um, being kind of lost in the middle. Yes. Um, and that, uh, maybe looking back, I feel I didn't get the attention that I may have needed. Um, I'm quite a sensitive person. Um, I know some people don't like to use that uh, term. Um, I wouldn't say I'm oversensitive, but I am. I'm. Uh, I have strong emotions, and I am. I yeah, I am sensitive, and so. Um, and that's a great thing. I'm all about sensitivity because I think that's you live the world fully, like you live your experiences very fully. I know some people think it's a bad thing as well. Um, you know, because that's all right. You feel things harder as well. You so do, yeah. Being, being a sensitive child, you do your... So I had a, a heightened emotional um, sensitivity going on. And uh, as we go along and move through the teenage years, I began to rebel a lot. I was um, I was troublesome. I was, a, I was a problem child, you know, and... Uh, do you think that was looking for attention? Yeah, I do. I do absolutely 100% think that and believe it. Um, I've never really had these discussions with my parents, but I would have them with my sisters because it had a huge impact on me, even looking back at how problematic I was and problematic I was for my siblings and for those who cared for me around me is that, um, Looking back on that, you know, I don't see that as me. I just see that as a sensitive child who was really needing some, um, some attention and more so, I wouldn't even call it attention, but needing verbal communication, you know, needing that deeper level of connection that I clearly, uh, didn't get, um, but didn't know I wasn't getting it at the time either. Um, I, yeah, so we'll just kind of jump forward then. Yeah. What I wanted to do was get out of town. (laughs) (laughs) I really did. And a lot of my friends were the same, but some of them got kind of pregnant, um, young and, you know, settled down young. And then some of us went abroad. Um, I took off to Tahiti, um, Wow. I was dating a guy. He was living in Ennis at the time and, uh, he was half French and half African. So he was a, he was a, a, a nice mixture. 
and um, of the two and uh, we started dating and I that was the start of it I took off on a plane my parents didn't even know who I was going with um, the only person who had met him was my sister out, out of my family and so I spent a good few years soul searching uh, what I wanted to do you know wh- who was I trying to figure it out you know you know, and I, I spent the best years of my life doing that. It was amazing. Um, yeah, great. I had a great time experience, you know, um, experiencing different cultures. And I hadn't figured out what I wanted to do, to do after coming home, but that was fine. You know, I had, I think I had gotten enough of that exploring and began to sort of develop who I was as a person that when I came back, I was ready to, you know, explore the whole, the educational route and, um, and that sort of thing when I, when I came back home. So, so yeah. Yeah. Well, what you're doing now with health psychology and working with the pharmaceutical industry on the shortages of medicines. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, how could a child know, uh, you know, cause I think you're a child at 17, 18. How could a child know to do that? It wasn't even thought about then. You know what I mean? I think, you know, what your purpose in life is. So it's, it's, it's so great, but it was, it wasn't even a concept in the West of Ireland Absolutely <laughs> that not. time. No, no. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're getting, you're called into the office when you're in school and you're told by your guidance counselor who could be, it might be a nun to, um, <laughs> if you're bold and disruptive in class, you're told go off there and do a secretarial course for yourself, would you? And, uh, unless you're, uh, quiet and sitting down and, and studious and that, um, you know, uh, that's, that's where you're going or become a hairdresser, which I'm sorry I didn't because it's quite a lucrative business at the moment. So, but, um, I think that that had a huge impact on me and my, um, my confidence as a person. So it was a big, big challenge for me because I always felt, um, less intelligent than the rest or less educated or you know I I had a big big problem with my confidence for many many years as a result of that I suppose not going down the conventional route we'll call it or not being um part of the gang or um part of the norm I suppose that I I I was always a little bit uh maybe rebellious or I, I I don't know. I can't really put my finger on it, but it had an impact on my confidence for many, many years. And even when I went back and trained and went to college and um, my late 20s, I did the pharmaceutical science, pharmacy technician studies. And that was the beginning of, of all the studies then that led on to a whole host of studies um, over the last decade, really. But um, even then, and up until now, I'd say that my my confidence was was um, challenged, and it's only now that I can comfortably sit in front of people and and happily talk about what I do or what are my interests. Um, I would have had a big issue up until up until recently, I'd say. Um, yeah, I can relate to that a bit. I I deferred my college initially as well, and I I always felt oh I should you know I didn't do my degree or you know. I didn't have a degree and it impacted me. Then I did a degree in my late 20s and early 30s. I did two degrees, actually. And I was like, oh, what was the big deal about? <laughs> you realise that afterwards, but yes. it gives you confidence. It does. It gives yeah. you the ability to um, 
to express yourself. You, I remember when I first started, the nerves, like, you know, I was in my late 20s and, you know, when it came around to tell me your name, you know, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, what are your interests? I mean, the panics I would start getting. And like people would always, as I said, Louise, oh, you are like one of the most confident people I know. Because I was always like confident among friends and chatty among friends. But when it came to, I don't know, talking about myself in front of strangers, I would just, the panic would set in and I'd be barely able to say my name and so self-conscious. Yeah. That's gone now, thankfully. Thankfully, yes, yeah. And I think as well, when you go back to study in your late 20s or in your 30s, it's a good time, actually, because you're really into what you're studying. And exactly. you, 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 you do a lot better, like you study a lot better, your work, your, you know, your research is always yeah. a bit more poignant and you get better marks you know I think it's, it's I know because you don't want it's not really experience to go out drinking you know not that it is for other kids you know for younger people but it is something that's a big part of the younger person starting college at 17 18 is the social life and it doesn't it's not necessarily the focus when you're older but maybe you were different so no that is so true um like even you're saying about marks like I mean, the marks that I get now, I don't think I would have ever got them during school or if I went to university after after school, I don't think I would have achieved what I've achieved now. Yeah. Um, and because I have such a deep interest in, I suppose, um, health, psychology, um, I just I'm so passionate about the subject and it's quite a an emerging area within health. So um, I absolutely love it. And I look forward to, you know, to expanding my career in that as I, as I move forward as well. So, yeah. Um, Tell me what that means, health psychology. Yeah. So health psychology, it's, um, it's a branch of psychology and it examines how, so it, it follows an approach, which is called the biopsychosocial approach to healthcare. So it examines how biology um, how social and psychological factors influence health and illness. Okay. Wow. So that means that if, say if a person, just to break it down, if you present with an illness, it could be anything. We'll just say chronic constipation. We'll make it easy here. So a person presents with chronic constipation um if you're to see a physician um they will deal with you in a in a kind of a, a biomedical approach so they will treat um the condition so you may be prescribed um uh, Movicol sachets or Senecot or whatever it is to try and loosen um loosen the stool okay but a health psychologist who sees the same person will will look at that they will look at um the factors um, around this person. So they'll look at the biology of the person um, and that will be just uh, looking at, at everything, I suppose, uh, age and um, and all of that. Then they'll look at the social aspects. So um, I suppose, where are they living? Where are they living in society? What is, what is their broader social setting like? And then they'll look at the psychological factors associated with the constipation so I suppose that's around you know is the person experiencing stress and um, you know what are those stressors and 
how can we get that person to engage in um, engage in their own health behavior to help reduce the constipation? So be it um, looking at ways to reduce stress or looking at ways like their social factors and does that impact what their diet is like, for example? You know, so then looking at things like that and then um, looking, is there is there a biological factor to the cause of the constipation? Could there be an underlying, um, you know, more serious health uh, condition that could be causing it as well? OK, um, and that could be that could be anything. I mean, that could be a whole host of things, as we know, because um, constipation can be associated with many health conditions. So it is really looking at the whole person everything around them so it you could call it a holistic approach if you will um but that is what health psycho- health psychology is um we don't see much of it in ireland it's emerging in the uk it's everywhere there's health psychologists working on every clinical team in hospitals they are also um being integrated into primary care also so um it's a fantastic emerging area in healthcare and uh i definitely am really really passionate about it and driving my own i suppose career in that field um as well as uh making it known as well what an amazing area it is for the health of um of our community so yeah, as I said, they, they also work, um, to improve healthcare systems. So in changing health policies, um, so working with the likes of, you know, the, the HSE, um, and things like that to help drive forward health, health initiatives. And a huge thing is around changing behavior. So how do we get people to change their behavior? So for example, um, if you were diagnosed with, um, cardiovascular disease and you've got issues with your blood pressure and your, um, and your cholesterol and you're on medication, how do we get that person? Okay. They go home, but how do we get them to engage in their own health behavior? Cause it's all well and good giving you the medication to take and you're taking your blood pressure and your cholesterol or whatever the case may be but are you going to engage in your own health behavior or are you just going to sit on the fact that you're going to go down to your pharmacy every month and collect your prescription and pop your pill because it's not good enough and you're a likely person then to end up back in the healthcare system back in the hospital increase problems as as the cardiovascular disease progresses so it's really about getting people to take action in their own healthcare and um this kind of ties in very much to the job I do in the Royal College of Surgeons in that I um I work in the school of pharmacy and I work specifically with pharmacy students and we run labs on um like different we'll say health conditions so like cardiovascular health diabetes all endocrine diseases and things like that and we work through the whole prescription process dispensing it going out to the patient giving them the medication talking about the medication and how it is used what are the side effects but like a big big factor in that is teaching the pharmacist to engage in mini interventions about um behavior change and I suppose health behaviors so lifestyle changes that they can bring about to um help them improve their own health condition. So um it's already there like the Royal College of Surgeons is um quite progressive in that it's the only university that uses health psychology um, to structure the teachings of, of, um, of, I suppose, um, healthcare professionals 
within the module. So we have med- medicine students, pharmacy students, nursing and physiotherapists. And they do actually have psychology, health psychology intertwined into that because um, they're looking at it at the progressive, I suppose, healthcare practices, which is, which is quite amazing. And I'm, I'm so happy to be able to 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 be working in that area and to be educating healthcare professionals on these important factors and not just looking at the biomedical route. So just the treating of the disease itself with medication. Well, it's very exciting. I'm very excited by this because I love this area of, it's always occurred to me, why are we just looking at the symptom? Why don't we look at the, the psychological factors or the emotional factors or the 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 social factors yeah so that's that's great news I'm delighted to hear that health psychology is going to be within our health system I mean it might take a while to permeate through all the different departments and down to the GP practice but it's very exciting that the Royal College of Surgeons are teaching this this model it's amazing and uh it's amazing and it's a great place to work so I'm delighted to be there and uh and and doing that as well yeah because uh it's 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 brilliant it seems like a big step forward and and it seems like it's empowering people with their health as well because i think the biomedical approach is helpful obviously it helps people it heals people you know but it's quite disempowering to just go i need the pill for this rather than i need to look at my lifestyle and what's causing this exactly that's That's very exciting. And what a lovely area to be in. You see, that's why it took took a while to figure it out. It wasn't around then. (laughs) I know. know. Yeah. And uh, and this that brings, I suppose, me on to and and how we met was um, through the the current research that I'm doing as part of my um, MSc in health psychology. So I'm just I'm coming to the end of it. I'm at the final the final hurdle. And that is doing my dissertation. And it is on, um, so the title is um, Women and Pharmacist Knowledge and Informational Needs on the Menopause. So, okay. um, yeah, it's, it's looking at two different um, strands. So it's looking at uh, peri and menopausal women and what is their knowledge and informational needs on the menopause and then the other strand is um, looking at community pharmacists because they're, um, I suppose, structured in within within the healthcare profession role. They're they do encounter a lot of people coming in, if not getting HRT already for the menopausal symptoms. Um, a woman might present to them with symptoms. Um, on um i suppose unknowing of what it is so they're very important i suppose within um within this area because they may come across women um who ha- who don't know that they're they're perimenopausal or going through these um symptoms so they may be able to pick up on these as well so it's looking at what's their knowledge and informational needs and I suppose looking at the two of those and seeing, well, do they converge or do they diverge in terms of what they're saying? Because I believe that um, in order for us to be able to inform um, guidance for education surrounding menopause, um, we need to get the woman's perspective. 
So, um, you know, it's, it's, it, I, I don't think it's very much use just doing research on, um, the informational needs of, of pharmacists or doctors, whoever the case may be that's dealing with women. We really need to get, um, that, um, unique perspective from women because, um, they're the ones that can guide us best in how to educate our healthcare professionals. Uh, or if we're educating them, I, it's only actually emerging. And in the UK, um, they already have, you know, um, courses that the healthcare professionals can engage in. And so I, I'm hoping that this research will inform us in, um, you, you know, in a, a more structured um, continuous professional development for healthcare professionals across the board. So that's my whole idea surrounding it. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's what I've been, that's what I'm at. That's what I'm doing at the moment. Um, it's very interesting. And it was lovely. I met you um, a couple of nights ago. And one of your meetings, research meetings, where there was a group of us discussing uh, the questions that you posed. And um, I just, it was just fascinating the different levels of information um, we all had and also the amount of information you have. Uh, so uh, you talked about the many different symptoms of menopause. How many did you say you think there might be? Was it you that said that? I didn't say the quantity, but I, 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 not, I didn't say the quantity. Okay. I never totted them up. So. Okay, sorry. I thought you mentioned that the other day. Um, I suppose what did emerge is so far from the research. Uh, speaking with with women, um, while we're becoming more and more educated around the very common ones. So um, if we talk about the the physical or the the vasomotor ones, um you know, the hot flushes and night sweats um, and things like that. And then if we, um, I suppose, the, the, then you've got more of the psychological or the emotion. So the emotional bits, so anxiety maybe and depression and and feelings of rage and, and different things like that. And so, and, and, and we probably would have been all familiar with a few of them been thrown about, oh, she's got that or, you know, have you got the hot flush? Um which has been thrown about for years and years, but I suppose there is then there's the long-term health implications, which I think was popping up. And I felt that um, women weren't aware of this, which is, which is, which is a great discovery in one way, because it means we we've somewhere to go and we've something to work on um, in terms of um, uh, increasing knowledge. And um, cause it's all about education at the end of the day, isn't it? But like some of the major ones that popped up were, um, the cardiovascular health um, and the hormonal changes that occur during menopause and um, how this can increase the risk of uh, risk of cardiovascular um, issues surrounding like um, high blood pressure and cholesterol. And then um, the other one was um, bone health as well. And bone health, yes. And then brain the brain issues as well. I think the brain know. issues. So, yeah, yeah. Just the brain issues, I suppose, that you would kind of have had women saying that they did notice that they couldn't, like their verbal fluency wasn't as good or their... No, I've definitely noticed that in my in my experience that I, I sometimes lose words and it's it's quite frightening. And I've heard that, you know, we're starting to talk about menopause a lot more, which is great. Yeah. And I've heard people talk about it now in the media say that they thought they were getting early Alzheimer's. 
you know, there's just sometimes a block, like there's certain words that you just go, oh, or a name of somebody and you can't think of it. But that's a sign of menopause. It's not necessarily a sign of dementia or Alzheimer's. Yeah, exactly. And we don't want to kind of um, jump the gun and jump too far ahead because while we're experiencing these, some women may experience, um, we talk about the cognitive with mm-hmm. cognitive functioning um, or the cognitive issues that can occur during menopause while some women experience them, other women don't. Okay. Now I'm not an expert or a medical doctor, but you know, any of the information that I do say is, is based on um, research evidence as well, but that, you know, women will have brain fog or um, they'll just notice a slowing in their cognitive functions. Like as we were saying, the verbal fluency and, um memory recall even just uh even recalling of names or places that you would be um be familiar with saying it can um it can hit our confidence a lot especially if Mm -hmm. you know if we have i don't know if it's if you're if you're in your in in work work, uh, and you're trying to describe something in work and uh next thing you just uh you you can't recall what you're trying to say it can knock your hit your confidence but i suppose the thing to remember is this um is it, this is a symptom uh of them of your um of your menopause journey and it's not something that um will continue it should it should it should cease after uh you know after the symptoms kind of stop fluctuating like that so they do say that you could experience that for five to seven years or something while other women won't so it's there's no hard and fast rules but there is um, emerging research on um, loss of estrogen and development of dementia. So okay. that's that's current and it's emerging. So it's it's new. So I won't go into too much detail on it, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't put fear in women. Mm-hmm. It's just that, um, and just because you're experiencing brain fog does not mean that you're going to develop dementia. But it's good to be. Um, I suppose to be aware of the of the emerging research that's coming out and to keep updated as women on that, um, and it, it it it's it's got it's connected with that loss of estrogen. Um, okay, it'll be interesting to see what um the outcome of that is because estrogen is like impactful for like for for everything almost, but certainly for um for the brain as well, and so. Yeah, it's uh, look. We'll we'll wait and see, but it is a hormonal thing that's going on when you're experiencing the symptoms. So I would say, don't be worrying um, if you're experiencing brain fog. Sure, no, yeah, I think that's good to say because I think it is a symptom of menopause, and yeah, of of course, if it develops really strong, that's something you should go to a neurologist about. But if it's the if it's brain fog, as we as we kind of know uh, a bit more about whether you've had if you've had pregnancy, you know what brain fog is or COVID even. I have it already and I haven't even had the baby. I'm yeah. Pull my words out going, what's that word again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and COVID as well, a lot of people experience brain fog with that. So it's something we're becoming familiar with. But yeah, I suppose we're also familiar with the growing numbers of dementia and Alzheimer's. So yeah, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't worry about it. I'm not worried about mine, but I, I'm conscious and I'm aware that, you know, I like to use diet for my health as much as possible. So I take magnesium and I think that helps with um, brain fog. And many things. Other things as well. So there's things yeah. you can do to uh, help your memory recall. Yes. Uh, 
you know, so, um, there yes. is, yeah, there are things you can do. You can start making notes, making lists. Like there are things, sleeping better. I mean, if sleeping I sleeping more, yeah. yeah. And like during menopause as well, we know that our sleep is impacted, um, yeah. greatly as well. So, I mean, if we can try and get better sleep, how do we do that? If we're not getting sleep, I mean, there's lots of different things, meditation. There's yes. Lots of things that you can do. So, Certainly. And the same ties in for like the cardiovascular disease. And again, yes. tied in with the hormone thing and um, the hormone changes that occur during menopause um, can increase our risk of increased blood pressure and cholesterol levels. So you do find that some women will be prescribed uh, medications such as this during um, during this period. So um, but there's also other things you can do then you know, like to help with your cardiovascular health outside of the menopause. Yeah, like exercise, diet. (laughs) Just say we're hitting, we're hitting, just say we've, we've turned 40. Like it's something we should be considering whether we're perimenopause or beginning to see those, um, hopefully not, hopefully you get, go through the 40s and you don't experience perimenopause. You know, but for some women, they do. So I think it's everything that a woman should be considering when they when the, when we turn 40 anyway. We'll just, we'll just talk about that and just not to be kind of going back too far and that we should be considering things like cardiovascular disease and things like our bone health because whether, um, you know, whether we experience severe menopausal or perimenopausal symptoms or not, these are things we need to be considering. Um, and how can we do that? How can we lower blood pressure um, and reduce our cholesterol levels? How can we um, look after our bone health? And that is all through um, exercise and diet and looking after that. So so the physical, so the exercise, the diet, and then um, you have to also look after the psychological health as well. So yes, 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 I agree. Yeah, because it's all health, be it psychological or physiological, it all encompasses health as a whole. Yes, yes. I, I mentioned to you earlier, I do these um, meditations. I, I, I teach meditation online and um, I go into the the interrelation between body and mind and spirit, I suppose. Um, and one of the things I realized when I was doing, uh, I kind of do like these lectures, not lectures, but talks and it, before the meditation. And one of them I was doing on fight or flight and, and the connection with, um, arthritis. And it's fascinating. So when we go in, if we go in and out of fight or flight and some people get stuck in that, in that, uh, place where they're in that area, like they're kind of in emergency all the time, you know, especially if people are traumatized, they go into that drama, that high level of fear and they live in with that all the time. And when we do that, our, our nervous system takes, um, what would you call them? Minerals, minerals from the bones to help with the fight or flight. And if we do, and, and it replenishes afterwards. So if we keep, being in that fearful place we're robbing our bones and little holes occur in our bones so it's 
it's fascinating. So diet is really good for bone density if, and, and psychology and um, yeah, exercise. Weight bearing is very good. Exercise. Yeah, no, it's fascinating the impact. You're saying the fight or flight, which is obviously the stress response, okay? Yes. And, uh, you're, you're right in that, like, I think throughout the whole two years of our master's in health psychology, stress was this huge area of study because it is a contributing factor for almost every health condition that we experience in a clinical setting it is it is a contributing factor to all diseases it's it's crazy actually how and stress is the word that we use it's kind of a it's kind of like an umbrella word for emotions so <laughs> it's a logical response and the yes levels and the impact that that has that when it decreases our immune system and yes. um, and then we're more susceptible to you know to disease and all of that and um, developing so it's it just what you're mentioning was just ringing a bell and it's it's amazing, but that's all part of, of the health. So I would say if, if for, um, for the menopause anyway, but just for general health, um, cardiovascular disease, then the, the physical, the, the diet, healthy weight, obviously smoking isn't, uh, isn't good for our health. So if we can try and also alcohol consume, consumption. And I think yes. most Irish people like a, a drink, including myself. Um, and it is just about being more aware of that um, consumption because the, the risk factor for that and developing other uh, chronic diseases is, is very, very high. So, um, you know, as well as as well as that. So, yeah, it's it's all of those things considered the whole it's a whole host thing. It's not I don't think it's very complicated. I think it's um it's something that we can all manage if we put a little bit of work into it but um certainly for people who have uh, i suppose developed habits long term habits it can be quite hard to break and by no means would i say that it's um it's easy to change a behavior but if you go to the right professional and begin the journey it can be any professional so be it a cognitive behavioral therapist or a health psychologist or an acupuncturist, if you engage in anything that's good for your health, it's going to help. So, um, you know, if you're, if you're questioning, well, what should I go to or where should I go or who should I visit? I think the first step is to go to somebody that you believe in or go to one of those practices, be it anything. Cause the first step you make to engaging in, healthier lifestyle is going to be impactful regardless of which it is or whether you go to the gym first or whatever because I think they all have a knock-on effect if we if we begin one good thing and try and you know change our behavior in that way um yeah. just as a knock-on effect we begin to think about things uh think about our broader kind of health and also you get to engage, I think, the social aspect of engaging with other people and and that helps a lot as well. So it's really important to kind of to consider that as well when you're when you're trying to get healthier or trying to deal with medical conditions or trying to deal with the menopause or whatever the case may be, is that um social support and having like minded people around you actually it, it um it helps us to succeed easier.
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally agree. So I'm really looking forward to your uh, your findings when they come out in your research. It's uh, fascinating. I'm definitely going to focus on menopause here on this show for a little while because there's so much to it. There's so much to menopause that it's such a, a varied um, event for different women, you know. So some women like me might experience brain fog or uh, dry eyes more than that. I do have hot flushes, but not too many. Um, not, not as overwhelming as most people. So, um, but the hair, your hair is impacted. You know, I've noticed my hair is impacted. Hair and skin as well. Yeah. Yeah. And your bones, as you said, your heart, your cardiovascular. Um, and then relationships are affected too, because, you know, uh, sometimes people, like you say, might feel depressed or angry or, you know, not so confident. There's a level of mourning, mourning the maiden in you, you know, mourning the young woman becoming a an older woman. And there's a lot of good things that happen too. But it, just in terms of, um, I think relationships get impacted a lot. And, and we have spoken to women who've left their partners and maybe it was, maybe it was a good thing because they might have been um, putting up with stuff for a long time. And then they got to the point where, okay, no, I, I'm, I'm moving on, you know, so impact a lot and also um uh, women um there like uh, just a woman who was saying that she was at the, the height of her professional career you know it was it was really impacting her her role in work and yes. um you know even in meetings and things like that and next thing she might get a hot flush or you know and ha- managing to deal with that you know you could be in a room full of men or just it's it is a it is a huge impact and uh on a lot of women so um i actually got a uh, a really good good piece of advice off a woman um Great. in one of the groups and it was uh, it was just about um what do we need to do going forward in terms of um awareness to women and it it was uh she said it was like she said that if we can, maybe when a woman hits 40, right, if we can, like we would when we encourage women to get their cervical smears or, you know, their their health checks, that we would ask them to look out for signs and symptoms, you know, because as you were saying, and a lot of marriage breakups and uh, relationship breakdowns and things like that that happen or women that end up, you know, developing kind of... Um, severe psychological symptoms and um, that are very impactful um if women were more um were more aware of the signs to look out for that this could maybe prevent you know some of these catastrophic events happening in their family and home lives um because of a lack of awareness or you know their symptoms get so bad and you know they and they don't know what's wrong with them and perhaps their partner thinks oh you know she's turned into <laughs> a very unpleasant woman she yeah. wasn't really like this before um and this could happen you at 42 you know yes yes so yeah. if we were to educate if we were to say okay or your gp or whoever it was you know yes. send out a um a kind of a help intervention or, or 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 just to um just to get women to be aware of the signs and symptoms um if they are perimenopausal to prepare that if you are experiencing this and this and this do come do call into your gp do get checked out 
while we can't do a clinical diagnosis, we can check hormone levels. Um, and I think that was a really good suggestion that that lady made. I, I liked that. Yeah, it is. It's great. And I think the doctors need to be informed as much as as women, because I don't think every GP has that uh, awareness of all the gamut of symptoms that women can experience, especially like one of the people we interviewed, Leah Kennedy, she's the first woman I interviewed. She was in her 30s when she started experiencing menopause. So she or perimenopause. So she went to a, a few doctors and they didn't figure it out for months and then, then they went, Oh my God, you've got early menopause. That's, that's what's going on. Um, and then she could get the treatment she wanted, but it was her family that it, she spoke about her family saying, you're not really nice anymore. <laughs> you know, you're very cross all yeah. the time. Uh, you know, among other things. So that's a polite way of putting it. Yes, yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, so it's educating women and, and we do have that blind spot with menopause that we don't really want to know because we don't want to get old. But I think we need to get over that and go look at this is happening before you realize this has come. This is actually, you actually are experiencing things and you may not be aware of it. Like you say, it's part of womanhood. It is part of womanhood and it's not something to be feared because it's not always negative. There's some good aspects to it as well. I suppose, yeah. and and the final thing is, I was chatting to um, my sister, and we were talking about HRT and all of that, and she was like, "But what?" She was saying, "But what did they do long ago?" And you know, what what did they do then? What was the natural way? And the I suppose the the bottom line is is it's evolution and it's. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's us living longer, um, and it's, uh, medical interventions that allow us to live longer, um, because women didn't live as long. So they didn't ex- experience as many of the complications that we are seeing now as women growing much older. True. Post menopausal. So that's where you're seeing, like, um, you know, the increased risks of, the osteoporosis um you know which is the most common cause of osteoporosis in women um wow. is the is the is estrogen know, loss yeah, yeah exactly and that's so but you know that's 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 just us living longer and we're going to see kind of greater health implications long-term health implications as a result of that Great. Well, listen, I could talk to you all night, but um, I think we should finish up soon. Um, uh, before we finish, um, just because it's better to keep them shorter that rather than longer to keep people's interests as well. Um, I, I think it's fascinating the work you're doing. I'd love to talk to you again as you move further through this study, if you wouldn't mind, if you're if you're interested, um, if you have the time after you have your baby, we'll see. Results, it would be amazing with the results. And yes, I do hope to publish the study as well. So, and that's all. I'll come after the baby. So, yeah. Do you need more women? Do we want to ask our listeners? So, um, I I'm short a few women. I have. Okay. Um, yeah, I am short a few women for, for another group or two. Um, okay. I have, I'm running a, a chat discussion online next Tuesday night at 6.30. 
Um, okay. From six thirty, I'd say we'll say an hour and a half because I think when women get chatting, they're so eager to to express about about the different um, topics that. Um, we were discussing that uh, they do seem to run for a, a bit longer than an hour. Um, I try not to have any more than four women in a group because it's just to give everyone the opportunity to discuss. But um, yeah, they, um, it, it would be great if a few, a few more women wanted to contact me um, because I'll have to end the data collection for women, I'd say, in the next week and a half. Okay. So where would they contact you, Louise? So um, they would be best, perhaps, to contact me by um, email. Okay. So I'll just get up that email because it's not my my personal email. So it's um, I'll call it out if that's if that's great. Yes. So it's e n r i g h t. That's English, and then it's hyphen l. So L for Louise at Ulster, U-L-S-T-E-R dot A-C dot U-K. And I'm looking for women that are living in Ireland um, because it's an Irish study specifically. Um, Great. That's all right. Um, also, um, you could contact me by phone either if that's appropriate to give it out here or not. Um, what I'll do is I'll, I'll post, um, I'll do information on the show notes and put your email address there. And anybody interesting in, in joining one of the study groups, uh, the research groups for Louise, get in contact straight away because she has, um, Tuesday night, 6.30. So I'm going to publish this podcast tomorrow morning so we might get some takers before then hopefully um and thank you louise thank you very much louise for joining us today it's been a a pleasure talking to you and listening to you and i think you're very interesting and i love what you've chosen as your career path and your studies and i wish you every every luck in the future you don't need luck i wish you all the best thanks a million it was lovely talking to you as well Thank you. You have been listening to Carol Fitzpatrick and Louise Enright on Lady Time. If you like what you've listened to, please uh, hit like on whichever podcast platform you're on or please recommend us to your friends. Thank you for listening.